Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership podcast series. My name is Scott Miller and as you know, I am privileged each week to serve as your host and interviewer. I'm also the author of numerous books, including the Master Mentor series based on our podcast published by HarperCollins, where each year I write a book about 30 of my favorite guests on the podcast. With their permission, I share one transformational insight from each of them. Easy, breezy, fast read, kind of the new chicken soup for your soul. And Master Mentors Volume 2 is available now on Amazon with 30 new mentors, 30 new insights on our way to 10 volumes in the Master Mentor series. And who knows, maybe today's guest might be agreed to be featured in Volume 4. Her name is Jenna Kucher. She is an online educator. She hosts what is the number one marketing podcast in North America called The Goal Digger. She is the author of the new best-selling book, How Are You Really? Joining us from her lake house cabin in upstate Minnesota, Jenna Kucher, welcome to On Leadership. I was just going to say, you just gave me a new goal is to get into your book. So we're going to knock this out of the park for your listeners. <laughs> well, that was easy, guys. I got another <laughs> one in. So Jenna, that's <laughs> awesome. You'll be in good company. Hey, such a pleasure. I got to confess, your podcast, The Gold Digger, is pure gold, no pun intended, but like many idiots, for months, I thought it was called The Gold Digger. I just figured, oh, it's a podcast around, you know, opportunistic people who, no, of course, you're a genius marketer. It's why your podcast is the number one marketing podcast in America, known as The Goal Digger. Your new book is an absolute treasure. How are you really? What I'd like to do, Jenna, would you just rewind a little bit and talk about your story? I'm going to ask you some specific questions about your transition from corporate life to being an entrepreneur and living your passion, but talk a little bit about how you got to where you are. Yeah. Well, there have been many different winds, winding roads that have led to where I am today. Um, and a lot of where I live and see myself today is not what I envisioned for my future. But I grew up in small town Minnesota, went to the same school from kindergarten through 12th grade, uh, went on to a college where I was on the diving team and subsequently ended up meeting my husband in small town, Wisconsin. And I have really noticed this theme in my life where a lot of times I don't necessarily know exactly what I want, but I am moving in a direction away from what I no longer want. And so for my journey, it has unfolded over the last decade as an entrepreneur, as a first generation entrepreneur. I went from being a wedding photographer to hosting a podcast, to teaching courses, to speaking, and now being an author. And I feel like each wind in the road has just been this inner longing and this deep desire to live a life of intention, but to stay awake to my life, to not miss it. I don't want to hit the end of my life and think those were the good days and I didn't realize it. And so my mission in life these days is to help people wake up to their lives, to be honest, how are they really, um, and to live their truth out, whatever that looks like. And Jenna, could you ever have imagined that all of that would have culminated in your appearance on this podcast? <laughs> Never I mean, really. in a million years, beyond my wildest dreams. I know, I know. But we're delighted that you chose to invest in us today. Hey, uh, your book is a masterpiece on many levels. First of all, it's actually physically, tactilely, tactile, a very different kind of book. It's very heavy. You've actually printed it deliberately, both in hardcover and on yeah. paper, 
a level of paper that allows you to take notes in it and use it as a bit of a journal. It's a very unique type of book in an era where you know, books increasingly are paperback and they're, they're printed on very thin paper. Tell me why, tell our audience why you chose quite deliberately as an expert marketer to make yeah. your book physically different than most every other book we've read or bought recently. So here's a story that I have never shared online. Um, so you get an exclusive, Scott, you're welcome. Um, the paper inside of the book is actually paper that was created at a paper mill that I worked at growing up. Wow. And my dad worked at a paper mill um, for most of his life. And all of us kids in my family ended up working our summers at the paper mill in order to pay our way through college. And I was a tour guide of a paper mill. Imagine that, Duluth, Minnesota, people come to do tours of at a least, paper mill. At least one a month, right? You had at least one at tour. Oh, month, right? I did them weekly, oh, wow. um, multiple tours a day. <laughs> And it was on this specific grade of paper that we created called super calendared paper for all of you paper nerds out there. And so it's actually really wild. There have been so many full circle moments, some that we'll talk about in just a bit. Um, but even the cover of my book, I didn't want my face on it because I was even resistant to have it be called a self-help book because the goal was to get somebody back to their self. And so I didn't want my face on the cover of the book. I wanted it to be something different, but even on the back cover of the book, I am wearing a dress from Target Boutique, also known as Target, um, which we'll talk about. And so there's just been a lot of thoughtfulness in every little piece of the journey from the way the book feels to the way it looks to the way that it allows you to enjoy it. Jenna, let's dive into some of the, Sherry's, the stories that you share in your book. There's a particular story that I'd like you to maybe elongate and it was very relatable for many of us. It was when you were back in a fairly relatable corporate career. Now you are an entrepreneur and a well-known celebrity and podcast host and speaker. There's a story when you were working, I believe, in the human resource division of a company, a company most of us would know had you disclosed the name. We can probably figure it out. And a pivotal moment happened that all of us can relate to. Would you uh, share that moment? Why is that so important for all of us to know? Yeah. So I remember it like it was yesterday, um, even though it was over a decade ago. And coming out of college, I was really fortunate to have a job offer. And, you know, coming up in Minnesota and with my parents, my dad worked at the paper mill, my mom was a teacher, we craved safety and security. And you would be a fool to walk away from either of those things. And so having this job right out of college, to, or yeah, right out of college felt like such a blessing. And I remember I was a few years into this job and this company was very focused on raising leaders. It was, it was really incredible. I gained so much experience in that realm. And I remember doing a check-in with my boss and I walk into her office and it was a female boss and I sit down and I noticed kind of in the corner of her desk, there's this picture with these two little blonde kids. I can close my eyes and see them. And I said, you know, I don't hear a lot about your kids. Tell me more about your children. And immediately I could almost like feel this like wall come up. Um, you know, it's something that we don't talk about a lot, but more specifically for women, but for anyone, we're almost expected to play these certain roles to kind of put on a separate hat. You're a one person at work, one person at home. And I almost felt the shield come up and I could tell that it was almost a sore spot for her. And she said to me, she said, if I'm lucky, I get home in time to give them a shower and put them to bed. And at that time in my life, I didn't even have a desire to be a mom. 
And hearing that and hearing that like pain in her voice, like she quickly changed the subject, got back to this annual review, but it really stood out to me as something where I was like, oh, she's the successful one. She is the corner office. She's the leader. And yet I could see this like piece of brokenness or yearning within her. And in that meeting, she changes the subject and she says, here is your five-year plan. And it was almost like they were doing a favor for me saying, and here are the next five years of your life. Don't worry about them. And I remember this like visceral feeling of like, whoa, like nobody asked me what I want. And nobody checked in and said, where do you hope to be? Nobody asked, like, are you even happy now? Or do you even want more responsibility? And I went back to my office and I sat down and I looked and there's this picture frame. And it was my fiance at the time, who's my now husband. And I looked at that picture and I thought about that sore spot for her, that yearning, that like knowing that she was spending her life in this office and all she wanted to do was be with these kids. And I looked at this picture of my husband and this cute little mole by his lip. And I just thought to myself, do I want to spend my life having someone else plan it for me and sitting at a desk, looking at a picture of the person that I love the most, or is there a way, is there something more? Is there a possibility that I can find a way to do life with the actual human, not just with the picture of them? And like I said at the beginning, a lot of my life hasn't always been this following the path of passion. I think a lot of leaders these days mistakenly say to people, you know, just pursue your passion and everything will work out and you'll never work a day in your life and all those quotes. But if I'm honest, I think that most of the world right now is walking around not even feeling passion, thinking, what are my hobbies? What am I passionate about? When is the last time I felt joy? When am I enjoying my life? And so that day for me just really woke me up to the fact that like, if I don't take control, if I don't plan my own life, someone's going to hand me my plans. And five years from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to look back and wonder what it would look like if I had taken the pen in my own hand. Jenna, thank you for that. This may sound like a silly metaphor, but I, I, I mean it when I say, I think your book is a match, like an igniter. And if yeah. someone is looking to solve any of those similar issues that you just talked about in your own life, find your passion, release yourself from someone else determining your five-year plan, deciding that you don't want to spend just one hour at night with your kids if you're lucky, which we all face. As a man yeah. who's a dad yeah. and a husband of three young boys, my wife and I have three sons that are eight, 10, and 12. And as I was driving to the studio this morning, I finished reading your book last night. I yeah. thought, gosh, you know, I've not read a book to my youngest son in a year. We have thousands of books in our home. I'm going bankrupt over Barnes Noble. We love books. I'm an author. Look behind me. And yeah. I thought, I was thinking of you thinking, I don't think I've read a book to my youngest son in a year. Other things, mm -hmm. obviously. Your yeah. book is a spark. It's a match that can ignite a spark. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's written in a way that people can, you know, think you're their friend, right? Because you've written yeah. a very easy style. I want to fast forward for a moment. And there's a great story about uh, after this meeting with your leader where she gave you your five-year plan, there was a laminating machine involved in the office. And I think there's some important <laughs> track you might lay before that. But talk about that track in between that meeting and then what happened at the laminating experience. Yes. Oh my gosh. I like, I cringe when I think of that story. Um, so we have the meeting, I go back to the office 
And it was the first time in my life where I really questioned, like, do I want more? Is more better? Because basically what she was presenting me was this opportunity to work more in order to earn more. But it was the first time in my life where I hit this tipping point of like, but is more better? Like, just because I could, does it mean that I should? And I felt this deep desire to get out of this situation, right? But like I said, I didn't know where it was going. Now, at the time, I was 23 years old. I was planning my wedding to my husband and we couldn't afford a lot. We served pizza at our wedding. Um, we had like, I mean, it was a very piecemeal thing. We had farmer's market flowers. My dress was $300. Like we were just pulling that thing together. But I loved and have always loved beautiful images. Like photography to me is just this ability to freeze time. I was like the little girl who would pull out the albums and look at my parents' wedding pictures and just study them. Like I just relish in memories in that way. And I had this opportunity to buy a $300 camera on Craigslist. Um, we had just had a girl from our church take our engagement photos and it kind of ignited this spark of like curiosity of like, could I take pictures? And so I was on Craigslist, found a camera, bought it. And what I didn't know is that it would be what you were just saying, that breath, that spark back into my life, that reminder of like, you are a creative person and you're not meant to spend your whole life in this windowless office. And like, do you remember when you just tried things and experimented and I got this camera and I would literally sleep with it on my nightstand and I would challenge myself to learn how to use it, whether it was dark out or light out. And like, all of a sudden I was just obsessed and I had this realization when somebody said to me, Hey, I have this cat. Will you take some pictures? I'll pay you 50 bucks. That it was that moment for me of like, wait, I can actually do something I love and maybe even make money. And so once that spark was ignited, it was going to blaze. And I realized that I had this background in business. I went to school for business. I had this passion for photography and I had this deep desire to walk away from the corporate world. And I was finding myself in this moment where it felt like I was on two Clydesdale horses going in opposite directions because I didn't just abandon the nine to five. I didn't just put in my two weeks notice and say, I'm going to figure it out. I didn't just jump and expect the net to appear. Instead, I thoughtfully knit the net while working the full-time job. And I think it's important to note this because I feel like in today's world, you look at things like the great resignation, people leaving the workforce or desiring to leave. And what I think we have gotten too accustomed to is that we just abandon everything in pursuit of what's next. But when I look at my path, I've always leveraged where I'm at to get to where I want to go. I've never just walked away from something that's working. I've leaned on that for the safety and security. And so here's where the laminator came in. It was pre Pinterest days. I was planning my wedding. I was perusing wedding blogs every day whenever I had time. And I was piecemealing together this little collage of images for inspiration. I literally had a Microsoft Word document that I was dropping photos into. And I printed it out on the fancy work printer one night when the office was empty. And I thought to myself, what if I wasn't just the bride? What if I was the person creating these? Like, what if I use this new camera and maybe like started a business. What if I became a wedding photographer? And so at the top of the document, I wrote photographs by Jenna Lee. And I had this beautiful thing of pictures and I printed it off with the color printer. And I went over to the laminator 
and the laminator jammed. And I had this piece of paper with my name on it and with all these wedding photos stuck in the laminator. And I was prying the teeth. Like I was like, I am about to get caught. My Clydesdales are now being revealed. I had never whispered this dream or this hope or this vision to anyone. And suddenly as I'm Googling like the manual for this laminator that says C manual, which had apparently been thrown out decades before, I really had to face, do I fess up? Do I be honest about this dream or do I like throw the laminator out the door and pray nobody notices? And so the next day I went into work and Kathy was his office assistant and I went up to her really timidly and I said, Kathy, I am so sorry. Could you take a look at the laminator? I'm pretty sure I jammed it last night. And she was really handy around the office and she starts pulling out these shreds of paper. And on the paper are these wedding photos and my name in this little scripty font. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, oh, and I said, Kathy, I've never told anyone this, but I have this dream to become a wedding photographer. And it was the first time I'd admitted it and way the first time I'd admitted it in those four walls. And I saw something incredible happen. She lit up. She didn't care about wedding photography, but she recognized passion when she saw it. And she looked at me and she said, oh, Jenna, I love scrapbooking. Like when I'm not in this office, I could scrapbook all day. I think about it all day. I just want to buy all the scrapbooking things. And it really reminded me of a few different things. One, a lot of times in life, what we want and where we're at don't match. And it feels like we're going in two different directions. And there comes this point where we have to choose. But beyond that, there comes this point where we have to admit that we want to go in a different direction. And that laminator story forced me into sharing that. But once I shared that passion and saw somebody else ignite, it almost became contagious. And it kind of helped me to make the leap a little bit faster than I think I would have had I not had that experience. You are a extraordinary storyteller. And I oh. want to read a passage from your book and have you kind of tease this all together. Of yeah. the many golden nuggets in your book, you write, uh, Maybe you were in a similar, maybe you were similar in many ways, confident in your own skill, skin, assured in your own beliefs, rooted in your own values until something else happened. Maybe you lost your inner, inner confidence all at once in a memory you still can't shake. Or maybe like me, it was a slower process as years stretched longer and the pancake stacked higher, your little five-year-old self grew into a kid that started to take notice of the world. And maybe as time passed, the message you received from this world is that your confidence in how well you think of yourself simply can't be trusted. And here's the truth bomb. That your opinion about yourself is flawed and always will be. That you need to rely on the world's opinion of you because they're the ones that green light all of your opportunities. Right? Riff on that. So there's something really interesting that I've discovered even more recently in the last few years. I work with a lot of women entrepreneurs, but I also work with a lot of leaders. And a lot of times when people whisper that thing that we just talked about, that feeling of like, is there more, or there's this dream, or there's something I wish I could do. A lot of times when you ask them, why are you not doing it? It's one, because they're so worried about what other people are going to think about that change. But two, 
that they are living their life in a way that has them saying yes to every single opportunity because they're believing the lie that someone is going to hand them their big break. And as they're saying yes to everyone else, they are saying an equal no to the things that they say matter the most, the things that they say they want to do with their one precious life. And it's really interesting because I'm the kind of person who I protect my yeses so fiercely. And I was recently talking to one of my friends who's an incredible leader. And she said the other day, she said, the one thing I want to learn from you is like how you so confidently and unapologetically say no to opportunities other people would die for, like die to have. And I said, because they're not meant for me. And like, I don't need anyone to hand me my big break. I know you have boys, but I have daughters. And even watching some of the old Disney movies that I consumed as a child brings up this like, whoa, because all of the women were saved, right? They were waiting for somebody to swoop in and save them. The messaging is there that you are meant to be beautiful and wait. And what I think happens, whether you're a man or a woman, is that a lot of us are spending our whole lives waiting. We're wasting away in the waiting. We're waiting for somebody to give us the opportunity or to tell us what to do next or for the supposed to that the world tells us is the next obvious step. And for me, the only reason I truly believe this, one of the only reasons why I'm successful is because I've continually come home to myself and checked in and said, is this right for me? Is this the next thing for me? Do I trust myself to give myself the next big break when I'm ready for it? And with that also in aligned with what you were just saying about your son and not reading is can I press the brake pedal in my life, whether it's my career life or whatever that looks like and trust that what has gotten me this far will carry me forward and that the gas pedal will be there when I'm ready to hit it. And I think for parents, that second one is almost this full circle moment from, you know, sitting in my office with my boss and thinking, gosh, like I don't even want kids, but if I did want kids, I don't want that to now being a mom and having it be the most important part of my life to say, no, I'm going to hit the brakes in my career right now. And I'm going to trust myself that when I'm ready, when the time is right, when the kids are a little bit more grown, I'll know where the gas pedal lies. And I think that that kind of confidence only comes when you start to evaluate and notice your opinion of yourself and your self-belief. There's this line in the book that says, the way we rise up to our battles is directly linked to the type of warrior we believe we are. Mm. And I think a lot of us, are showing up to battle in our lives, whether it's hardship or trauma or whatever that is. And we're looking around saying, where's the person that's gonna swoop in and save me? We don't believe we're warriors anymore because we're waiting for someone to coin us a warrior. Jenna, we all have someone in our life who gave us a break, who you know gave us an opportunity. Uh, like you, I had a great corporate career. For me, it was about 25 years and became the chief marketing officer of the Franklin Covey Company. And I had you know, access to lots of celebrities and influencers, but it was Rachel Hollis that really gave me a great break. And Rachel's had a rough couple of years. I've learned a lot from her as to what to do, what not to do. But Rachel actually put me on stage at her RISE conference. And so I'll always be indebted to Rachel and her former husband, um, Dave for that. But I was interviewing Rachel once on the program, this podcast, and Rachel said to me something I'll never forget. She said, most people aren't afraid of failure. What they're afraid of is other people watching them fail. Uh, Rachel's got lots of great one-liners. And it's haunted me. Um, regardless of your 
opinion of her or that thought. What do you think about this idea of failure? And you know, you reinvent yourself, you disrupt yourself, you take great risks to build this entrepreneur, this brand you have, and you're out there in the public yeah. eye. What have you learned from failure and your own fear of it, or perhaps what Rachel says is having others watch you fail? Yeah. You know what's so interesting is that I think that even beyond that, if we take it one step further, it's not necessarily about success or failure, but it's a fear of change. And what I mean by that is there's this line in the book where it just says, like, remember when we signed yearbooks and we'd say, like, never change. But there's this fear of, like, if you change, will we still have things in common? If you change, will you still like me? If you change, will we still know each other? And I think that I don't worry so much about failure. Failure to me means living a life that doesn't feel good. But what I worry about is not being open to evolving, to being stretched, to growing as a human being. To me, the true failure is staying stuck. There's this notion of identity foreclosure. I had Dr. Maya Shanker come on my podcast and she shared this notion about identity foreclosure, meaning we as human beings have this tendency to cling to, to identities that no longer fit, that no longer serve us. I think a lot of us do this. Um, it would have been very easy for you and I both to stay in our corporate safe gig and cling to that identity. And honestly, it probably would have been easier in some ways because the world values titles like that, right? Like, I remember taking a leap and going from this executive position to saying, I'm a photographer. I like taking mm -hmm. pictures mm -hmm. and trying to have people understand what that meant to me and what that meant for my work. And so it's really interesting because I feel like I don't fear failure. I fear not changing because if I'm not willing to change, it means I'm not growing. And I literally look at myself as like a student of life. Even when writing my book, I had to keep reminding myself, here is what I know so far. Here's what I've learned so far. And in writing a book, and you know this, like you have to be willing to risk that at some point you're going to contradict yourself or you're going to change your mind. But to me, a changed mind reflects growth. And so it's been interesting because I don't fear failure and I don't fear publicly failing. I fear staying in things that no longer fit. And I almost have to challenge myself and I challenge your listeners in this to wake up every morning and just greet this new version of myself. There's this Rupi Carr quote that's like, you will only be this version of you for today, like meet yourself mm. where you're at. Mm. And I just feel like something like that to me matters so much more than trying something and failing. Heck, I don't even look at things as a success or a failure. I look at everything as an experiment yeah. because yeah. when you take away those words of success and failure and you say, this is an experiment that is simply going to yield a result and that result is going to guide me forward. It takes the like heaviness of it all away. So I look at life as an experiment and I welcome change and I usher it in and I meet myself every day in whatever identity I choose to show up in and I welcome who I'm becoming. There's this line that I tell my three and a half year old every single night. And I hope that if you have children, maybe you'd consider taking it as well. And I always just tell her, I love who you are, but even more than that, I welcome who you're becoming. And I feel like it is this invitation mm. to change. And I think that's something that we as adults need more of in our lives. If you are enjoying any part of listening or watching to Jenna, you are going to love this book. In fact, you have to buy the book to really fully understand why she's titled it, How Are You Really? That really word is an important part of 
why she wrote the book. Jenna, talk briefly about your podcast, formerly known to me as The Gold Digger, <laughs> but now known to millions <laughs> as The Gold Digger. Tell us about it. Where do we find it? What's it about? And why has it become so insanely popular? Oh, Scott. Okay, so first let me tell you a quick story. Um, a lot of times in our lives, my husband and I, we love to kind of be all over the place. We love to be in Hawaii or Arizona, like we're all over. And whenever we meet people and we say something like, oh, we're here for the month or whatever, they'll always look at my husband and say, what do you do for a living? And he'll say, I'm a stay-at-home dad. And then they'll look over at me and they're like, what do you do? And I always have to spell out G-O-A-L, digger, because I'm like, I am the breadwinner. <laughs> we're not giving the wrong impression. Um, Gold Digger was born in my car. Um, with nothing more than iPhone headphones and this deep desire to not be in isolation in pursuit of more. And I think a lot of times when we go after our dreams, we feel like we are on an island by ourselves. And so the podcast started years ago, just in an attempt for me to put myself out there as an introverted person and connect with other people on the journey of whatever more looked like for them. And it has grown and evolved. It has become the number one marketing podcast. And it is a place where there are honest conversations, where we peel back the curtain on leaders that you know and recognize, but also where I teach. I love strategies. I love systems. I love simplifying processes. I love all of those things. And I love them not for the purpose of working smarter so that we can work harder, but in the purpose of working smarter so that we can have more life, so that we can save time, so that we can spend it in the right places. And so if that sounds like your cup of tea, come on over, hang out with me on the Gold Digger podcast. I usually record it in my closet, which is not like a nice closet. It is a closet with like boxes that say like random stuff in there. And it is a constant reminder for you to start with where you are, with what you've got, and to just take one step forward. Jenna Kuchar, known now to millions as a master mentor in the fourth volume of the Master Mentor series written by Scott Miller. Thanks for your time today. You're an absolute, you're an energy infuser. Uh, my oh day now my will gosh. be better because of you. Oh, this is such a treat. I mean, first off, we need to hang out in real life, but thank you for having me in this capacity. And I can now check that goal off of my list. Um, so thank you for making me feel like an achiever today. Um, but also just thank you for the work you do. I hope that all of your listeners, you know, as somebody who hosts a podcast, I want to take just one minute to acknowledge the work that you do and the way that you show up. Um, it is not easy being a leader, specifically a leader speaking on leadership. And so I just want to remind you and your listeners today, like if you love the work that Scott is doing, take a moment to tell him. I can't tell you how much it means to the creators. And so I just want to encourage you and speak into your life. Thank you for the work that you do and the way that you show up. It is so valuable and um, I see it and I feel it and I am somebody impacted by it. That's enormously gracious of you. Send us off. I want you to repeat the phrase that you mentioned to your children every night as they go to bed. Give it to us again. Yes. I love who you are, but even more than that, I welcome who you're becoming. And I do the same for you as a listener today. Jenna Kutcher, author of the new Phenom book, How Are You Really? Make sure you buy the book to figure out not just why it's titled that, but all these wonderful nuggets that may well be the match that you need to light that spark in you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This was a treat. And we'll see you back here next week. How do you top Jenna Kutcher, host of the Goal Digger podcast, online educator and new author of How Are You Really? But we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership.